of defeat. The human drama of athletic competition. This is ABC's Wide World of Sports. Da, 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 da. Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. Happy to be live tonight on WCET Radio in Columbia, South Carolina, as well as on TheLastFrequency.com. And you may possibly even be listening over on the Vera Network and TunedIn.com. I am here live again. I love it. Uh, second time in three weeks. We're really enjoying the holidays. And <laughs> to be honest, uh, just about still chuckling over the uh, little intro clip that uh, Doug had put together for me. That was a great one, <laughs> by the way. 
just flashbacks of Family Guy, great stuff. I almost wonder if uh, if Doug's not trying to taunt the listeners and uh, WCET because, you know, the good guys in Orange are rolling into Columbia, South Carolina this weekend. And, well, if things go as they should, uh, it may not be a great time for the Gamecocks. But, hey, you know what? Uh, it's one of the friendlier rivalries in the SEC, so let's just enjoy the game, regardless of how it uh, plays out. All right. In the meanwhile, got a very, very good show planned for you tonight we are packed with uh, a couple of different guests for you this evening first we're going to talk a little bit about the ongoing issue with the uh, debacle that is known as ftx for those of you who maybe haven't been following that story has a lot to do with the collapse of a cryptocurrency exchange it really shouldn't affect cryptocurrency itself but the exchange Well, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on there. And as we uncover more and more, this is getting to be more of a democratic scandal as much as anything else. So we've got Derek Kinney coming on to talk about uh, that with us. Uh, Derek, of course, is an author as well as a podcast host. Uh, He wrote the book Good Money Revolution, How to uh, Make your money do more good uh, he's also the ceo of good money framework and he is the host of the good money podcast we'll be talking with him and uh, it's so far two for two for our live broadcast since i've been back to doing it live here on wcet we're scheduled to have ken crow join us we're going to talk a little bit about the um, well the outcome of the midterms, because I haven't really got to talk to Ken about that too much just yet. And we'll talk a little bit about Trump jumping in and his thoughts there. I think those will kind of merge together. And if time allows, we'll do more. And I had had my fingers crossed for a possible bonus mystery guest, but as of right now, it's looking like it's probably not going to happen. We still might get surprised. I I never give up uh, on these things, but As of right now, we'll probably just keep Ken over and uh, continue that conversation. Anyway, what do you say we actually get to the show, boys and girls? Because you didn't uh, didn't tune in to hear me babble on and on about, you know, what I planned on doing. (laughs) You wanted me here to to actually do it. So uh, what do you say we do that instead? That seems reasonable. All right, let's start with the absolute awesome Awesome things going on over at Twitter. (laughs) I I tell you what, the more Elon Musk does over there and uh, the news breaks out, the more I'm really enjoying it. I I think uh, that Elon is really leading the way for social media right now because the scariest thing for the employees over there is they're finding out that most employers expect you to actually work. Right now we've got literally hundreds of employees at Twitter that at least according to reports, that decided to resign from the company. Uh, This came after Elon demanded that in order to stay at the company, that they would need to commit to what he was calling, and I quote, extremely hardcore working conditions. So the New York Times, of all the great former media outlets, decided that they were going to report that the company was in disarray. 
This, of course, was because the deadline was swiftly approaching for the employees to respond to this midnight email that demanded that hardcore uh, working condition. Literally hundreds of Twitter employees appeared important word choice there, appeared to have decided to depart with the three-month severance package that was offered by Elon. This news, of course, comes after Musk let go eh, somewhere around half of the company's 7,500 full-time employees. That happened earlier this month, which, of course, was an attempt to, you know, kind of cut out the bloat uh, yeah, the company's not exactly ever been even close to profitable. Uh, part of that has had a lot to do with the fact that they're ridiculously overstaffed. Another part of it was the fact that all the benefits, especially in-person benefits like the breakfast, lunch, and dinner that was offered free of charge, was ridiculously expensive. It was kind of funny watching the, again, on Twitter debate between the person that was responsible for overseeing the breakfast and lunch, kind of get into it with Elon, because they learned an important lesson about the difference between pricing in your department and understanding the true cost to the bottom line. See, Elon made the point that this is literally costing us $400 per employee with a majority of the employees not even showing up in person. So they were just going to do away with it. No more free lunch. Not that there's ever really been one of those. So I don't blame the Twitter guys for being upset that they've lost it. It's just they probably should have never got used to it in the first place. The rest of us don't get that option. Beyond that, the acquisition uh, person, and they were like, oh, no, that's a lie. Elon Musk is lying. It was only 20 to $25 a day, which is still probably more than they were appreciating. But then Elon had to point out to them, we're not talking about what you're actually giving them. We're talking about how much gets thrown away, too, how much you're ordering in and is setting on the the shelves waiting to be prepared. How much we're paying the employees that are there preparing the meals and the electricity that's going in and all the other utilities, the total cost. Elon, like a CEO, was looking at the bottom line and was breaking down the line items. And his numbers made sense. Anyway, this continues to be an ongoing thing. You're going to continue to see the media attack it because they want Elon to fail. Why? Because they don't like having their echo chamber anymore. Democratic politicians want Elon to fail. They want to investigate him. They don't want to investigate, I don't know, Hunter Biden. You know, some Republicans say they're coming out to do that, but the Democrats sure doesn't. They don't want to investigate Joe Biden and his role in the Biden crime family, they don't even want to investigate whatever happened to the missing emails that once upon a time was on an illegal private server. Well, the server itself, not illegal, but illegal for official State Department documents to be on it that was in the home of Hillary Clinton. Now, that's too much like, I don't know, doing their jobs, you know, rooting out corruption. Uh, 
oh no we have to be worried about elon because he's taking away our favorite place to hang out especially once they got rid of that orange man who was bad uh quoting here uh, from elon in his email Going forward to build a breakthrough Twitter 2.0 and succeed in an increasingly competitive world, we will need to be extremely hardcore. This will mean working long hours at high intensity. Only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade. You know, again, I kind of hate to break it to the Twitter folks. But for most of the rest of us that are out in the workaday world, that really is the expectation. And with the economy where it's at, with layoffs coming in multiple places, at tech leading the way right now, by the way, uh, you, you're looking at Amazon, you're looking at Meta, you're looking at Google. These places are starting to realize that they have been ridiculously overstaffed too. And with the economy going where it's at, People are going to have to start, I don't know, putting more effort into keeping the jobs that right now they can just kind of breeze into and breeze out of as they please. They're going away. Now, this was always the plan, by the way. This is not a bug. It's a feature. This is how the Joe Biden economic policy was designed to, you know, fight for the little guy. It's more like just fight the little guy. They keep forgetting to put the four in there. You're not fighting for anybody but himself and his friends. All the Democrats, like Nancy Pelosi, who's managed to, now that she knows for certain she's never going to get to be the Speaker of the House again, decided to retire from being Speaker, does not want to be minority leader doesn't want to be the person to actually hand over the gavel this go around because she can't stand losing it wouldn't surprise me if she doesn't decide to go home to paul and hang out with the man who's literally magical at picking stocks this guy is more successful at picking stocks than a certain legendary uh, investor who runs a company called brickshire hathaway yeah, you know the one I mean, that guy. And yet, Paul Pelosi is better than anyone else? How do you think that is? I mean, it's purely coincidental, by the way. Pay no attention, guys, to the fact that it's only involving trades with companies or in industries that are being regulated and that laws are being passed and regulations are being passed going through Congress at a particular time. It, there's absolutely no way that there's any insider information that Nancy Pelosi has ga gathered. No, no, that's, that's not a thing. Not even close to a thing. Seriously, perish the thought. Seriously, put down your tinfoil hat. This one isn't even worth it. There's no conspiracy there. Not at all. <sighs> I was listening to Dan Bongino a couple of days ago, and he started saying that uh, it's time to break out some new tinfoil hats because all the old ones, uh, the conspiracies have proven to be true. And I thought it was funny because I was thinking the same thing, and then it, I got angry because I was planning on saying it in the next show, and he would stole my thunder. And, you know, it's one thing. If you say something that someone else has said when you don't know they've said it, it's completely different when you know. It's like, oh, no, now I can't say that. 
<laughs> but I'm glad I heard it because I know a lot of you guys probably are listening to Dan too, and uh, that would definitely be embarrassing if I didn't know that and you guys did. All right, so anyway, this particular email, going back to the Twitter thing, the email instructed employees to click on a link if they wanted to be part of the new Twitter. The email also added that anyone who did not click the link by 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time would receive three months separate. And just giving them a, a severance package, turning them loose, saying, look, guys, here's your choices. Here's option number one, commit to actually working for the company. And option number two, go be happy somewhere else because you're not going to be happy here. If, if you're not ready, if you're not prepared to follow through with the expectations, then just go ahead. And, you know, I love the fact that these guys offer up a severance package. I've been in companies before where it's meet these expectations or, you know, good luck to you. There's a reason why you're not on the schedule anymore. Certainly not fortunate enough to have earned a severance package despite what I feel like I had earned. So these guys, I don't think these folks understand how lucky they have been. And the worst part of all is when you are that lucky, you really should appreciate it and try to squirrel away as much as that excess good luck as you can because at some point you're going to need it. Life is not all upward trajectory. It's not up and up and things are just getting better and better. But there's always going to be a few down notes here and there. It's ups and it's downs. For most of us, if we're lucky, we have at least an equal amount. Some of us, not so much, which actually usually makes us appreciate the up swings in life a little more. These folks have been living on the gravy train. They have had a free ride. They were doing extremely well. They were ridiculously overpaid. They were overstaffed to the point that they literally could, uh, in the middle of a work cycle, go play foosball. I mean, it is literally a thing they did. It is the kind of thing that made working for Twitter the envy of the tech world. At a time when millennials were having a hard time understanding that there is such a thing as Work expectations. Twitter was setting the gold standard as to why you shouldn't ever have to deal with that. Except now, the cold, harsh reality of, I don't know, let's call it the real world, has finally arrived at the gates. Twitter is having to learn that there are expectations. And if you're not capable of making a profitable business, if you can't move forward with a profitable market model, then you have no choice but to change the model. I, I don't really take a whole lot of glee in the fact that some of these folks are actually losing their jobs. I don't. I mean, it sound like it. A lot of folks are piling on. I would like to address any potential Twitter employee or former employee and offer this up. The reason so many of us conservatives are either not feeling a great deal of sympathy or, in some cases, flat out throwing parties is because of how you guys have treated us. 
you know, there is this little thing called the golden rule, and it, it does still exist. I know you don't see it much online, especially in social media, and in particularly on Twitter. In fact, it's practically been to the point that you would honestly believe that if the real world was how people interacted in Twitter, that we all were a bunch of jerks and that nobody knew how to be nice to anybody. You should not expect better treatment than what you offered. You should never have treated every conservative and even a good number of leftists who just happen to disagree on a single topic, you know, like – uh, let's say you're a feminist, and then by virtue of being a feminist, I'm looking at you, uh, J.K. Rowling. Um, let's say that you made the terrible, horrible, very bad statement that men can't be women. Let's say you did that. How did you treat folks there? Guys, if you had just, I don't know, done something as simple as Put the rules and follow the rules and enforce the rules equally, regardless of political slant, you probably wouldn't be getting the parties thrown in your honor. You probably would be getting a lot more sympathy. Maybe not a lot more. You guys did kind of have it coming, but you know what I mean. All right. Well, there is another thing that I want to try and sneak in real quick, and I, I really spent too much time talking on this because as always is the case. I tend to get a little carried away, but not a whole lot to say about this anyway. So let me sneak this in before the uh, before we take the mid-hour break. You see – Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., you, you know the guy. We, we lovingly refer to him in a more actual descriptive name, barely there, Beijing Biden. Uh, also, uh, the pee pads part of Operation Knee Pads and Pee Pads. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that great uh, regime we've got uh, in the uh, White House right now. He came up with this really, really crazy idea uh, – that's right, Doug. That is how uh, knee pads got uh, her political start. And, you know, being Willie Brown's ex side piece is a great career move, evidently. Uh, <laughs> at least if you're a certain person. But, uh, you know, Joe Biden, he came up with this crazy idea, supposedly him. We know it wasn't him. But he thought he was just going to take his phone and his pen because, you know, a certain, a certain former president told him that you could do that. <laughs> and he decided to give away a lot of taxpayer dollars to forgive student loans. Well, he's had two different court cases, uh, two different judges step up and say, no, uh, uh, you don't have the power. You don't have the authority. So by virtue, he now decides that he's got a shot of making this thing happen. If he can just get it started. So he has had someone in his administration directly appeal to the Supreme Court asking not if the loans forgiveness plan is constitutional, but asking if they could at least start it while they're waiting for the other courts to decide. That sounds like a no-go to me, but 
hey, Joe, you do you, okay? Good to see you actually remember that the Supreme Court's there and that maybe you should pay some attention to it. Good luck with that. Let's go ahead and take that mid-hour break just a little early because I got a tickle in my throat, guys, and on live radio, I can't hit the pause button. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. <laughs> You're listening to Tap Into the Truth. My name is Joe Biden. My name is Joe Biden. <laughs> My name is Joe Biden. I recently heard yet another black leftist complaining about certain people not making headway in American society. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. After hearing the black leftist complaining about not making headway in the United States, the thought immediately occurred to me that either the individual either didn't know nothing and got that mixed up, or was a trained activist set out to spread a false negative narrative. Much like professional complainers like Al Sharpton, LeBron James, Oprah Winfrey, Senator Raphael Warlock, etc., None of those leftists have ever encouraged black Americans to break free from the family-destroying policies their forebearers were saddled with by demonic Democrat Party racists who hooked up with many black females and convinced them to undermine their good men, destroy their families, discourage or simply not teach their sons about life or encourage them to seek and secure a better life for themselves. If blacks or anyone wants to experience a better life, they must first be better people, not despise small beginnings. And they must understand that their unalienable rights come from God, not zaddy or big government. This final thought, seek to build your life, not destroy the lives of others. I'm Ron Edwards. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acidic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Ours is the first revolution in the history of mankind that truly reversed the course of government. And with three little words, we the people. We the people tell the government what to do. It doesn't tell us. We the people are the driver. The government is the car. And we decide where it should go and by what route and how fast. Almost all the world's constitutions are documents in which governments tell the people what their privileges are. Our constitution is a document in which we, the people, tell the government what it is allowed to do. We, the people, are free. There's a clear cause and effect here that is as neat and predictable as a law of physics. As government expands, liberty contracts. Hi, this is Derek Kenny, and you're listening to Tap Into the Truth. Welcome to the jungle. We got fun and games. We got everything you want. How do we know the names we 
right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. And wow, I did not expect that uh, liner. Evidently, uh, evidently, Doug, aka the Crazy Cajun, has uh, been doing some stuff. Uh, Kind of around the side, around the back, and always looking for the surprise. You should have saw him dancing around with his uh, constitutional grounds coffee earlier, too. It was a sight to see. <laughs> I'm still chuckling about that. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, uh, hope you are having as good a time this Friday night as we are. Uh, if you are listening at WCET Radio, uh, awesome FM station, hanging out in lovely, beautiful Columbia, South Carolina. If you're listening at the lastfrequency.com platform, or maybe you're tuning in over at TuneIn.com at the Vera Network. We're live right there. And of course, the rest of you sadly are going to have to hear this in podcast version after the fact. But, you know, don't let that discourage you. Listen to the podcast. It's still a good thing. I, I love you guys. All right. So now it is my distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to the show a first-time guest. He is the author of The Good Money Revolution, How to Make More Money, Do More Good. He's the CEO of Good Money Framework, and he's the host of the very popular Good Money Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Derek Kenny. Uh, Derek, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining me this evening, and a really big thanks for the surprise liner that, that you helped with. Uh, how are you today? I'm doing great. I was so excited to hear that. The uh, the producer, uh, we kind of worked on that behind the scenes, and he was excited to put that together, but uh, excited to be on your show, and I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me tonight. All right. Well, the honor is mine. I always enjoy uh, getting the opportunity to talk to folks that have a true grasp and understanding of topics that really seem to escape some folks that are supposed to be in positions of leadership. <laughs> you know, uh, I would love to think that at some point we'll have some elected officials that understand the value of the dollar rather than just as long as somebody else is supplying it, we'll keep spending it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, wanted to talk to you a little bit tonight about the uh, FTX collapse and uh, how it is that it's been such a big impact uh, in in so many people's uh, Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, so you still had the tickle coming from out of nowhere. I'm going to have to deal with that in a moment. But, uh, you know, we, we saw this. It's an amazing story. And it looks like it has ever bit as much to do as somebody who started out with uh, the intention of creating an exchange and helping people to invest and then kind of because nobody was watching and he thought he could get away with stuff, started kind of treating that business as a personal piggy bank instead of taking care of the business. And in that process, a lot of people have had a lot of effects, even people that weren't doing business with the FTX exchange, because it really hit crypto investors. Well, it did. And what this did is it sent shockwaves through a stock market that the last thing they needed was more shock and awe. And we see hardworking Americans who are trying to make ends meet. They want to break. They're trying to put food on the table. And a lot of them have heard of the easy money stories that have been sold to them on social media and the Internet that, you know, Bitcoin is the future. Ethereum is the future. Cryptocurrency is the way to wealth. And much like a lottery ticket mentality, sadly, people will put money into these things and, and expect 
to make easy money. And the principle that they overlook, and I've been burned by this myself many times, and that is when you receive a, a hot stock tip, keep in mind, typically it has cooled down dramatically by the time it gets to you. <laughs> and oftentimes someone else has already made the big money and you get left holding the bag. And that's clearly what has happened here. What caught people by surprise, though, was this was a huge, well-respected, at least portrayed to be stable, consistent company. I mean, my gosh, the Miami Heat named their uh, stadium FTX Arena. That's since been removed very, very quickly. But also we saw quite a bit of athletes and actors all putting their name to this company, putting money into it. And so it gave the impression for people like us listening right now that, hey, this would be a good company to go into. And so not only was the risk, normally it's just crypto itself, which is volatile. In this case here, the whole company went away. So a lot of people are really scratching their heads and looking into an empty wallet, which is very sad, especially as we approach Thanksgiving. Yeah. Yeah. You, you talk about the respectability factor, which, uh, you know, I had a conversation earlier um, off air with just a, a co-worker and made the point that at one point in time, Bernie Madoff was considered a very respectable and reputable business person, which is how he was able to get in that position. And ultimately, when you decide to invest, you have a responsibility to yourself, first and foremost, to do all the necessary homework. And you have to be very careful about who you trust. And this guy uh, ended up being the that uh, quintessential uh, person who you should not trust. Uh, he, I, I really have a hard time... Uh, buying into the idea that he was a snakes uh, oil salesman, which is what a lot of people I've been hearing uh, in comment here. Uh, I don't think he gets to where he's at without at least at the beginning having uh, a good sense of what the model was supposed to be. I just think he got away from the business model and, like I said earlier, kind of turned it into a personal piggy bank when he was able to get away with it for a while. But what concerns me here is the harm that's going to be done to the folks that have invested in cryptos. Uh, you have this effort by the uh, our, our federal government to look to try to do more regulation. And when part of the problem here was that it was by centralizing the exchange that he was able to do this. And then it was also a case of when you look at regulation – it was some of his competitors that were looking at what was happening and realized that something didn't add up. So they kind of self-regulated within this industry rather than needing governmental regulation. So it feels like there's a lot of room to make the argument on both sides. So what I'm concerned about, uh, Derek, is that this is actually just going to open that divide even greater between the folks that are fully on board with crypto and then the folks that are – just don't understand crypto and they're like well we need more regulation and then the folks we don't need any regulation i'm curious i obviously you prefer uh, to uh, be in something a little more solid and a little less volatile but right now i don't know what that would even be as far as the investment world's concerned yeah you know it's interesting because i and i, and I don't disagree with you from the standpoint that we probably need more regulation the problem is when you ask the government to regulate things is sort of like a farmer who's been raised in the Midwest his entire life, and he knows how to grow corn and wheat, 
and putting that farmer on top of a company and saying, now you be the CEO. It just doesn't always translate in terms of the skill set. And so the government sometimes is overmatched by some of the challenges they're tasked with regulating, and that causes problems. And so what I would say to people right now is a voice of reason. I actually feel like cryptocurrency and Bitcoin by itself outside of FTX still can have a place in people's portfolio. Would you want to put everything there? Well, of course not. Would you want to cash out all of your investments and buy a lottery ticket? Of course not. But one of the things I talk about in my book, Good Money Revolution, is the four lanes of investing. And we go from very conservative to lane four, that far left-hand lane. And think about if you're driving on the highway, you're in that fiery red Porsche or that uh, the silver Honda Accord, whatever is your speed. Typically, the far left lane is where you speed, you get the most tickets, the most accidents occur. And I, I liken that mentality to Bitcoin and more speculative type investments. And I, I say to people, look, put a little bit there that you have a story to tell and it gets that creative investing uh, part of you out. But don't put everything there because you want to make sure you can retire and not worry about things. I believe that once the dust settles here, we might actually see, and many economists are backing this up now, we may begin to see Bitcoin and Ethereum and the other cryptocurrencies begin to bounce back up. And what's intriguing about Bitcoin is it's unlike any other currency in the sense that there's a defined amount which inherently pegs its value to something more tangible. And so whenever you see something new like this, there's always going to be high highs. I mean, a year ago, Bitcoin was at 66 thousand dollars of bitcoin currently it's at sixteen thousand dollars of bitcoin so i i tend to think that gradually easing some money in on a respected current you know respected uh, platform may be a way to go to regain uh, some of what people have lost yeah yeah i mean the opportunity is definitely there and uh you're absolutely right uh, when it comes to bitcoin they almost are a class in and of themselves. None of the other uh, cryptos are even near the same bar level and as far as how they're set up because even Ethereum, which is probably the next most popular and uh, probably uh, most stable coin after that, uh, there is not a set amount. So there's always going to be the ability to play with how those values change. But ultimately, I think the real problem here as far as why it has hit the entire crypto market so hard is a lot of the people that are investing in cryptocurrencies even now, they're doing it because somebody else said, hey, this is a great place to try to – Put a little bit of your uh, wealth and will help protect you against inflation because the dollar is going all over the place. But a lot of these folks still just really don't understand it. They don't understand the difference between using an exchange and, and keeping it and staking the, on the exchange or putting it in your crypto wallet and keeping it. There's a lot of things here that it's not that dissimilar from how any other investment market works when you see how it goes. But there's still a lot of folks that just don't have that fundamental grasp. Would you, would you feel like that's a fair assessment? I do. And let me tell you a quick story that I think will, will make sense. I was visiting with a couple of business owners recently, and uh, when they walked in the door, they were just holding their, their, their head in their hand, essentially, looking very downtrodden. And I said, what happened? And they said, well, you know, we, we've been investing with another advisor, 
and he suggested this particular fund manager who had had a red-hot history of success. Everything this guy touched turned to gold. And they thought, well, my gosh, this next thing they do, of course, it's going to go well. So they amped up their bets. They put more in than they normally would because it was so consistently good, and they lost it. This was the one time this fund manager really, really struck out. And so all of that hard work, almost all of it disappeared, you know, 10 years worth of savings and one bad decision. And I don't think that's altogether uncommon because what often happens is people tend to think that, my gosh, if somebody is really good with money and the, and the, the materials they print and the marketing literature shows, here's the history and the return, and it's all very, very glorious and and beautiful, but people need to realize, and I want people to understand this one point especially, past success does not guarantee future prosperity. And that principle can serve investors well, especially right now because there is this bias that has occurred that if you hear of a young person with this new invention, and think back to when Apple Computer, for goodness sakes, launched in their parents' garage, there's this allure now that most people overlook that and said, that is foolish. I would not put money on a bunch of guys who are college dropouts building what they called a computer back in somebody's garage. I'm not going to do that today. Well, now that's become kind of the sexy way to invest. It's this pre-public offering type of investment. So it brings this venture capital money, the institutional money, the so-called smart money to get the, the leg up that the common investor, like most people listening, don't have access to. The problem is they could get lulled into the story that because there's this great opportunity, they can't lose money. And people pile into success stories. And once that happens, we saw this back in 2008 with the subprime mortgage debacle. That's what the movie The Big Short was all founded on. And we see people pooling all their money. Well, suddenly with FTX, it wasn't just one person that lost money. It was thousands of people who lost a lot of money. So I would say right now, you've got to be the wise steward, the savvy investor. And if you're thinking about investing right now, I would just either half it or put a fourth in what you're thinking about. Put it in, sit back for a week or so, a couple weeks, add some more. And that way you've always got more conservative money because you've worked so hard for it. I don't want to see you lose it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think that that effect of trying to become the part of the shark tank is kind right, of infectious. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't help that these guys are out there now also uh, creating these uh, platforms like Start Engine and, uh, and a few others that are out there. Uh, you feel like, okay, if Kevin O'Leary is uh, standing by this company, I would be a fool not to get in and then – and, and, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with helping to, to, to do that. I, in fact, I have investments on Start Engine myself, which is part of why I feel okay talking about it. Uh, but it, it does make you feel like, okay, well, I know this guy is – he's shrewd and he's made millions. But like you said, uh, past performance. I mean even – even that uh, famous guy who runs Brickshire Hathaway has had a few strikeouts. So absolutely, uh, it's something that you have to keep in mind when you invest. And you know, right now with uh, 
the type of economy we're looking at, uh, you know, it's a blessing to have enough funds that you feel comfortable investing. But when you invest, you have to stay disciplined. You have to stay the course, which is a big part of that information that you make freely available. Uh, I really appreciate the fact that through the uh, the Good Money uh, Revolution book and through the podcast, Good Money, you have made a concerted effort to try and get a lot of information into the hands of people so that even if you have an average or maybe even a less than average income stream, you can still find a way to uh, to make your money grow and that you have an opportunity to having a really good retirement. What was it that really set you on the path of deciding that you wanted to make sure that the average person could take better care of their money? You know, that's exactly right. And the reason I wrote the book, and this is my passion that I want to share tonight, and that is so many times I see the government attempting to lull people into this feeling that you should settle for the crumbs that the government tosses off the table to you, that you should be content and satisfied with that. And I think that is flat dead wrong. And I want people listening right now that many of them go to jobs they may not even like to provide for their families and give them a better life than they've had. And I wrote the book to counterculture right now that says if you like money or make a lot of money or you own a successful business, you're bad and you're the villain in the story. And we've seen the government attempt to vilify anybody deemed wealthy. You need to share that and spread the wealth around. And, and now what that does is it goes against what our great country was founded on, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And what I want to do is, is give people a choice tonight. You can choose to either lob your insults and anger and vitriol toward people you see as wealthy, which what we know, candidly, if I can be honest, is just somebody who has more money than you do. Or you could say, you know what, what if I buy this book or I buy a, somebody else's book, something that will empower me so that I can learn the powerful ways to go make more money myself and I can become successful, which puts me as the CEO of my money. And so that's why I wrote this book is wherever people are at right now, whether they own a business, they work for someone, they've always wanted to get another job, they want to make more money than what they're making right now, they feel like they're underpaid, overworked, uh, under uh, listened to. This book is a starting point that wherever you're at right now, whatever age you are, to empower you to make more money and the benefit of it is to do more good. So you find a cause that you care about, an injustice in the world, a wrong you want to right. And what I'm motivating people with is pick out that cause and then use that as fuel to go make more money. And one of the things I want to do, the, the book actually has now hit the USA Today and Wall Street Journal bestseller list. And I, I think it's because it's connecting with people on a personal level. It's meeting people where they're at right now. And I believe so strongly in the message. I want to give out the first five chapters for free to your listeners, and they can go to a link that we created. It's called goodmoneychapters.com, goodmoneychapters.com. They can download the first five chapters of the book completely for free, no strings attached. But it gives them a taste and, app and some ways to apply these principles right now to begin improving their life. That's goodmoneychapters.com. 
All right. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that. Uh, I don't think uh, I don't think our education system does a very good job anymore of teaching those basic life skills. Uh, one of which is handling your money. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of people that no longer have an idea how to balance a, a checking account, and the idea of being able to handle that money and to be able to move from a I have an average income to I can retire comfortably someday, that's a life-changing type of mentality. It's a mindset that uh, people can really, really grow from. And then I also look at what you do with Good Money Framework, and you work with a lot of small businesses trying to help them to be successful too. So you you work from these multiple uh, vantage points, and you see the uh, the efforts uh, that have to be put in in order to get from point A to point B. So you have a fundamental understanding of both the small focus picture, but also the big picture too. And that's what makes what you're doing a little different than just about anybody else out there that's uh, trying to, to help educate folks. So I really want to express how much I appreciate the effort you're putting in. Uh, and again, I want to thank you for coming on tonight, uh, Derek. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, before we uh, say our goodbyes for the day, I want to give you an opportunity to, to uh, share all the other uh, websites you'd like to let's uh, let folks know where they can find your work and as long as you're inviting people to follow you anywhere on social media if you'd like to share any of your handles feel free to do that as well you bet i appreciate that and it's been a joy to be with you on the show uh goodmoneychapters.com is where you can download the first five chapters for free uh, also the good money podcast uh, which is uh, widely listened all over the country you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, just type in Good Money with Derek Kinney. That will pop up. The main way that people can follow us on Instagram is at Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, the letter T is in Tom, Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y, where we post content daily on helping people make more money, save more money, and empower them to make the money that they feel like they deserve. And one of the big pieces of the book is, is really helping people get the raise they want and not having to settle for the 4% raise that most bosses kind of throw at them. How can they earn what they're truly worth? And how can business owners empower their employees to think like entrepreneurs so everybody makes more money? It's a win-win formula. But uh, goodmoneychapters.com is a great place to start. All right. And again, thank you so much, uh, Derek. Uh, absolutely keep up all the great work and would love to have you back on again some point in the future. And hopefully we'll have some good economic news to talk about instead of uh, more disaster in the marketplace. <laughs> thank you so much. And you have a great weekend, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Derek Kinney, the author of The Good Money Revolution. How to Make More Money, Do More Good, the CEO of Good Money Framework, and host of the very popular, and I don't say that just because I've got a line here telling me to. I say it because I've actually been listening to the podcast myself, and uh, I've enjoyed it for a while, the Good Money Podcast. All right, uh, we've uh, got a little bit of time left before we have to reset for hour number two. So... What do you say we talk a little bit more about some of the fallout from this FTX 
debacle. First and foremost, uh, I never used FTX. I am a fan, however, of Coinbase for multiple reasons. Uh, First and foremost, as an exchange, uh, they've been around a little bit longer. They certainly are far less sketchy. And more importantly, the guy who runs the company doesn't want to be political. In fact, a lot like Elon Musk has done, he told his people point blank, once upon a time, I expect you to be political on your own time. What you will do when you are on the clock is you will work to make our exchange the most successful that it can be. We are in the cryptocurrency business. That is what we are going to do. We're not here to make it okay to have a rainbow pride parade going down Main Street, whatever city you may choose. We're here to corner the market at crypto exchange. That's what he did. And I was a customer with him before he did that. I felt better about it after. And I uh, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm bragging because I'm not, but I can tell you from personal experience that there is money to be made in crypto. I've not exactly ever had a whole lot in it, but I have managed to follow the basic principle of buy low and get lucky with an uptick and sell high. That's what you want to do, right? My experience with crypto has been very good because I got lucky and caught one of those uh, highs and sold at just the right time. There's way more going on than just this crypto debacle. What's going on here has a lot to do with politics. The mother of the former FTX CEO, she's a law professor, and no big surprise, she worked as a fundraiser for the Democratic Party. Once upon a time, She wrote an essay that basically said, boo-hoo, wah-wah, there should be no such thing as personal responsibility. I wish I was making that up. I think uh, the fact that her son behaved the way he did when he was entrusted with literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. uh, We were told he had billions. Turns out now we're finding out he only had hundreds of thousands Still a lot of money in my mind, but nowhere as near what he was claiming. The the cryptocurrency platform, FTS, it filed for bankruptcy last week. This happened after the users there discovered that this trading firm that was adjacent called Alameda Research, another company that he was running that was just a regular trading firm, It had been using consumer holdings from FTX to make investments over there. We still don't have confirmation on where the billions of dollars he gave to Democratic candidates – oh, yeah, and a few Republicans too. Most of them fall firmly in the category of rhino. We have no confirmation exactly where that money came from, but where else could it have been from? Anyway, this incident, billions of customers' dollars have been stolen. I've heard a lot of people say, well, maybe they were stolen. They were. There's no question. There's no doubt. The money's gone. There's still roughly just under $2 billion that 
It's just strangely we got hacked and it's missing now. They can't find the guy. Now, Barbara Freed, the mother of Bankman Freed, a law professor, Stanford University, written about questions of distributive justice in such areas like tax policy and political theory. It makes sense that this guy would handle his money the same way that elected Democrats want to handle your taxpayer dollars. It came from the exact same mindset. It came from the same type of people that believe that modern monetary theory can make you wealthy. Problem is, it's only going to make them wealthy. Somebody still has to pay for it. Guess who that is, boys and girls? Doug knows. Ken Crow, who's about to join us here in the next little bit, he knows. Guess what? I'm betting you know too. But just in case you didn't, that's you and me, guys. All of us. Let's, uh, let's get to the next hour, ladies and gentlemen. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Doug, take it away. state son to love the flag and own a gun warned about the greed within the mass they met beneath the moonlit sky a college party drunk and high and when they had degrees they said their vows he couldn't say when he couldn't say how he couldn't say why she was different in his eyes Tim Tapp, host of Tap into the Truth. Right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with us through that switch over from hour number one into hour number two. For those of you that are listening live at WCETFM in Columbia, South Carolina, or at thelastfrequency.com, or even over at the Vera Network on TuneIn.com. Thank you so much for being here live. As always, I appreciate it, and I know that Michael Vera does too. Listen into all these great things that he's involved with. All right, yeah, here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Had a good conversation just a minute ago, and now we're raising our game. We're elevating to the next level because now we're going to have. A great conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My friend, the purveyor of the conservative daily briefing, as well as contributor to Real America Voice, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ken Crow. Ken, how the heck are you today? We're surviving. Can you hear me? <laughs> are we? <laughs> I, 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 I sometimes have a trouble telling. Uh, so... 
we finally, I, I think, have the results of our election for the midterm. It took us, what, nearly two weeks to finally find out the Republicans did, in fact, take the House. Well, that's what rumor has it. And by, by the way, just so you know, I'm seeking sympathy right now. I'm recovering from a cold. It's 13 degrees with a minus two chill factor outside, and I have snow on the ground. And it's not even Thanksgiving. So if everybody out there would please feel sorry for me, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we, there, there's another reason for me to move south. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, 10 days later, hey, we're not doing too bad. <laughs> they, uh, you know, France does it in, what, six hours? <laughs> and it takes us two weeks or 10 well, days yeah. or something. Yeah, you it, know, it I is... saw something funny the other day on Twitter, Tim, I got to tell you. Somebody put up on Twitter, it's amazing how, oh, what's that singing show, American Idol? They yeah. they can count 50 million votes in a commercial break, <laughs> and it takes <laughs> us two weeks. Well, yeah, we were told before the election started, this is the new normal. We know what to expect. Um, it sounds to me like we're just being set up to expect uh, plenty of room for, I'm going to say it, plenty of room for shenanigans. Uh, it, it does seem kind of funny when the person that's in charge of uh, overseeing the election in Arizona is behind going in and slowly keeps catching up until finally, hey, we're going to call it for this lady. Uh, and, and that's just one example of the craziness. I I wish we could just sit back and have full-blown election integrity and not have be concerned at all. Just say, okay, well, the, if you see something out of the ordinary, just say, well, that was a really strange thing and not have to wonder if somebody uh, in fact stole something. Uh, and I hate it. I don't want to be an election denier, Ken. I, I want to believe in our system. Uh, uh, I feel like just saying that out loud makes me kind of a Pollyanna, though. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, Tim, a lot of this, believe it or not, now this is going to be a shell shocker. you you got to go back, I don't know, two or three presidents, something like that. But a lot of this is the fault of the Republican Party. They yeah. were the ones that instituted mail-in balloting. If you go back in history and look at it and the the problem that we're having, and a lot of people don't realize this is, is that most of these states that do have mail-in balloting set it up where, okay, you can mail in your ballot up to election day. As long as it's postmarked on election day, we'll take it. Well, and then they set it up where, and we have seven days to receive it or 10 days to receive it or whatever the case may be. And that's why you get all these ballot dumps two and three and four and five days later, because it's the ballots that were actually mailed on election day. And it does, it lends a lot of um, conspiracy, you know, particularly when you have situations like you did back in 2020 in Pennsylvania, where, you know, it, 10 o'clock at night, Donald Trump was leading by a couple of hundred thousand votes. And at eight o'clock the next morning, he was down by 200,000 votes, you know, 
And so it does lead a lot of questions. But uh, in that particular situation in Pennsylvania and Michigan, there, there's no doubt in my mind personally after what I've heard from people on the ground that there was shenanigans. Uh, in yeah. fact, I was friends with the guy that was the head of canvassing or, or the counting uh, for the Republican Party in Wayne County in Detroit back in 2020. He subsequently, God rest his soul, passed away from COVID, but his name was William Hartman. And he initially, a day or two after the election, they all voted to certify the vote, and he wouldn't certify it. And he had so many death threats, he and this lady... I just remember her name's Palmer, but at any rate, she's from Michigan, and uh, they both had so many death threats that the FBI had to guard their houses for weeks after that, and Bill had to leave his home for about 10 days because wow. of the amount of death threats he was receiving, and so then they ultimately voted later on to certify the vote, but he said they knew then something was drastically wrong only they couldn't put their finger on it they didn't know because they didn't have all the computer technology you know all the analyzation that was done later on by Denise D'Souza and all those guys uh, all right. but he knew then something was wrong so yeah well, we, we, we've got to go back and, that, and that's one of I don't know if you saw Trump's speech I'll shut up in just a second the other night when he announced his candidacy but in that speech he said that he would uh write an executive order or get legislation passed that on all federal elections voting would end on election day it would be done with paper ballots there would be no drop off and there would be no harvesting or any of that and he got a big cheer from the crowd for it so yeah yeah, I, I did catch well, it. In so, fact, uh, yeah. Trump's official entrance into the uh, the race is something I want to talk with you about a little bit later. But uh, sure. yeah, I, I think it, it is an interesting idea because you know I, I have mentioned before I, I have fully taken advantage of early voting. It's extremely convenient. I think it might almost be too convenient quite honestly, because I am also somebody that said quite frequently, if it's important enough to you to vote, then it should be important enough to, you know, show up in person if you can. Now, obviously, if you're serving in the military or you have some legitimate legitimate medical thing that's going to keep you from doing it, there are occasions where uh, mail-in balloting uh, it makes sense. But the rules previous to COVID, mail-in balloting was handled a little differently, and you had to be postmarked by a certain time so you could be counted on election day. And it, right. it used to be that nobody had a problem with that. It's like, oh, no, my mail-in, I've waited too late to mail it. I guess it's not going to count. People understood that they had a responsibility to meet some minimum requirements. If you cared enough to do it, that, that that's what you had to do. Otherwise, you shouldn't expect to have your vote counted, whereas now they've made it so easy that 
in, in all the blue-controlled states, Ken, it seems like they're mailing out to anybody that's ever voted once upon a time and anybody else that they can think of. And they've got the, the ballot harvesting going on and these drop boxes. I don't know how those can be thought of as being legal anywhere. I don't care if you make it legal. How do you believe that that's legitimate to do that, especially if you're not watching and uh, protecting it and making sure there aren't people just loading it up? But it, it still comes back around to it is time, I think, to maybe make it a little less convenient so we can get some uh, authenticity because it's, it's not hard to get a photo ID. It's racist for the Democrats to continue to insinuate that uh, black folks can't do it. Uh, that's that's some bull. Uh, every black person I know, and I know several, they have their IDs. They didn't have trouble getting it. Um, pictures on all of them. Uh, it's, it's just I, I think we do need to do some stuff to bring back some integrity so that you and I can talk about uh, the results afterwards. And even if we're not happy with how it ended, we don't have any questions about whether or not it was a legitimate result or not. Well, and I agree 100 percent. And that is one of the problems in this election the other day. And I'm sorry, I, I thought it was going to be a blowout. I really did. But in reflection and hearing from the amount of people I did, a lot of Republicans didn't simply did not go vote. And I mean, a lot of Republicans did not go vote because they figured that they honestly believed that the process was flawed and that their vote wouldn't count. And so they just didn't bother going. You know, why bother? It doesn't matter anymore. The Democrats have it rigged. They're going to win, and there's nothing I can do, so I'm wasting my gas and my time by going to the polling booth. And that's what they thought, and that's what happened, and that's why the turnout for Republicans was what it was in a lot of these states. And we lost races that we should have won, and we flat lost them. And, yeah, uh, of course, I, I the really, one, really, I it. still can't wrap my mind around the uh, – senatorial race in uh, Pennsylvania, the Fetterman-Oz race. I mean, we talked about that one uh, a lot beforehand. In fact, uh, right before the midterms, you were wrong right here with me a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about that race in particular. And looking back at this point, and this kind of goes back to our uh, conversation, maybe we need to go back to Election Day and kind of end that early voting, but I mean, I don't know. How much of this do you think was early voting? How much of it was the blue no matter who crowd just refusing to to open their mind? And in that particular race, uh, we talked about the fact that it really seemed like um, the Fetterman campaign had done a really good job of kind of painting uh, Dr. Oz as being a carpetbagger, and the folks in Pennsylvania don't take uh, too kindly to that. Uh, was it kind of a, a combination of the three, or is it really more of one thing or the other? Well, it was a, in the Fetterman case, it was definitely a combination, starting with they had early voting up there to the point of where a lot of people didn't even know that Fetterman had had a stroke yet. I mean, it was that early, okay? And he was more or less, you know, halfway recovered by the time, you know, last few weeks where he could do the debate and campaign a little bit and all that. 
but that played a huge role because they said that I can't remember the number if it was six hundred or nine hundred thousand early voting ballots had been turned in but before the debates he already had that many votes before the debates which most of them were democrat because he he won philly and pittsburgh by huge margins because they're unionized democrat cities as you know and uh and that played a huge role in it. The second thing that played a role in it was they kept Fetterman largely out of the public eye. And he had a lot of surrogates up there campaigning for him. And that helped a lot. The third thing that actually damaged Oz a lot was the Democrat in general, the DNC's party advertising they were heavily marketing women, you're going to lose your constitutional rights over your body, okay? The Republicans are going to strip you of that. That played a huge role, considering that 70% of America believes in a woman's right to choose. That was a huge item. The second thing that was item was they spent millions of dollars replaying the storming of the Capitol, and saying you're going to lose your your freedom and your liberty and vote for democracy, vote Democrat, vote blue, vote for democracy, up and down the ticket, Uh, painting us as a party that wanted to, you know, create a Stalinesque society and take (laughs) over and, you know, take everything away from everybody. Uh, They did a better job of marketing, to be honest with you. They, They really did. They marketed abortion and they marketed democracy. Yeah, because that's yeah, all they it had. really didn't help and they when did a great uh, job Doctor, uh, It really didn't help when Doctor Oz also made his misstep and when he uh, was talking about uh, abortion should be between you, your doctor, and your local politician. Um, yeah, I I, and I, it was. An attempt to say it shouldn't be a federal decision, it should be handled at the states, but he botched it so badly, it gave them a lot of opening. Yeah. It, it was ridiculous, but, uh, you know, at this point, uh, I have one more comment about the midterms, and that being uh, point blank, it may actually be better for the Republicans that it's such a narrow uh, margin, because that means that our good friend, uh, the new Speaker of the House, is going to have to play nice with the uh, Freedom Caucus. He can't afford to not have all the votes if they're going to push anything through or if they're going to stop any of the Biden agenda. So would you agree with that assessment that we might actually be a little better off right now from the good guys in red standpoint? as far as conservatism by virtue of having such a narrow margin? Uh, Yes, I agree wholeheartedly with your assessment. I think you're spot on. The, uh, you know, he's going to have to get along with the Jim Jordans and the uh, Louis Gohmerts and all those guys and Andy Biggs and everybody. He's going to have to because he needs their votes. He can't afford to lose one. So he's going to have to 
whatever legislation he puts forward is going to have to be agreed upon by both the moderates and the uh, right side of the Republican Party. You're 100% right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I certainly hope we see uh, at least an effort to go back to operating the government on a budget. Instead of continuing resolutions, I, I'm not holding my breath on that one, Ken, but I am hopeful. <laughs> Maybe yeah, in the next Congress. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all dream right, we've on. got about seven minutes or so before we have to take the break, so we'll carry this over if we need to. Although I was wanting to change gears in the, the second part of our conversation. But. As far as Trump being in the race, I, I don't think anybody had any question that he was definitely in. We had talked about that on multiple occasions. He was definitely running again. Uh, he removed any doubt that anybody might have had when he did his preemptive attacks on DeSantis and then one on Youngkin uh, after the midterms, including him. And I guess he was just looking at names people are throwing out there for possible uh, primary challengers. Uh, it really kind of uh, – I was probably the most miffed I have been with Donald Trump. When he started going after DeSantis before the midterm election, when DeSantis was still up for re-election and as governor at that point, it's like, uh, why attack somebody before there's even a race? But uh, with all that aside, what we got in that speech when he made his announcement was more of the Trump, I think, that can reestablish the MAGA movement to full strength. He was – almost exclusively uh, talking about the uh, the issues and doing the comparison of when I was president, things were great. Now that Biden's uh, in charge, uh, things are terrible, worse than they were before. Is, is this a situation where you think Trump can kind of bring those people that he has been a little off-putting to back into the fold? Can we get full-blown uh, mega maga movement going full speed ahead or has trump maybe actually alienated a few more of the uh base than uh than we would have thought uh, i know the mainstream media wants us to believe that which is part of why i don't I, I really think he still has the strongest chance of winning the primary even if desantis decides to get in but i'm not convinced that he even wants to do that at least not at this point uh, so just your thoughts in general, was that a great speech, and is that the Trump we need to get Trump back in office? Well, I wrote what we're going to need today. I haven't published it yet, and I don't know if Tim has published it yet over at uh, Real America's Voice, but I pinned uh, the title of its open letter to former President Donald J. Trump from America's MAGA Patriots. And I penned an open letter to him today that's going to – he should read it because I know he reads uh, my website, and I know he reads Real America's Voice as well. So hopefully he reads this. But if you would like to be the first to hear it, I'll read it to you because it answers everything you just asked. All you right, say well, no, uh... I won't, but it, it's – uh it's a hell of a letter. I read it to a couple of people today, and everybody said, publish it, publish it. It's perfect. So I don't know. 
But anyway, right. uh, go ahead. What? I say, well, we can definitely do that first thing right back from the mid-hour break. I don't want to have to cut you off uh, uh, when we do that because I sure. would definitely love to uh, to but have that. If you're willing to give us that he, exclusive being the to first make. to get it out he, there, I, <laughs> I I love getting those little feathers in my cap. I have so few of them. <laughs> you bet. Well, you can have this one. I'll give it to you. But to answer your question, he can win and he can do well, but he is going to have to make some course corrections to do it. Yeah. Because right, he um, did it, lose a lot of Republican votes the other day. Yeah. And he's uh, going to have to win them back. Let me let me ask you this real quick, Ken. How long would it take you to, to read it to us? About three minutes. All right, sir. Well, if you'd like to, then go ahead right now. We'd love to have it. We've got uh, we've got enough time for that. Okay, dear Mr. President, to begin, we first want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your decision to seek re-election in 2024. After the unconscionable and, in many cases, illegal abuse you have taken over the past six years or so, it is truly a display of both love and passion for our nation and citizens for you to be willing to endure more. With that said, the purpose of this open letter is for one specific purpose. That is, and I should have said a different word there, but that is to hopefully offer some advice to you and your team regarding the mindset of the American Patriot MAGA grassroots voter. Use some of this advice, all of these suggestions, or throw them out. However, they are suggestions from someone who is not only one of those voters who are your base, but someone who is involved at the ground level. Bullet point. Keep contrasting your record as president versus the current governor uh, governance by Biden. However, to be presidential when doing so, do not be abusive. I say this because this is one of the things that actually got you in trouble in the last election. Americans have a style and an image in their minds about how a president should behave. Affectionately, I say, you trash that mold. You need to resell your abilities to the people. So tone down the abusive type of rhetoric. In other words, you can shred Biden's record, but do so with a smile and compassion. Bullet point, be a statesman. For all of the American people, you are a president of the United States. You represented our entire nation. Be that person on stage and at campaign events. Bullet point. Do not address every insult by the media. You're a president. You do not have to punch down. Ignore them. I know this goes against every fiber of your being, but honestly, sir, America gets tired of you demeaning yourself by lowering yourself to their level. You are better than that. Just tell them they're full of crap and walk away. Bullet point. You're already doing it, but keep reminding America about the $1.87 gasoline we had under your last administration. This is huge. Pound it home and even use the line, drill, baby, drill. Have your team look this up. But the back and fields in North Dakota have a 400-year supply of oil at our current consumption rates. Use this to reinforce the insanity of Joe Biden's green bullshitting crap. Show photos of the massive destruction of our earth to mine lithium to make batteries. We are stripping our land and doing much more damage to Mother Earth mining this stuff than we do with oil. Bullet point. Keep talking about our national defense 
and how we get much of our technology, i.e. computer chips, to fly our fighter jets from Asia. This needs to stop. We need to make our national defense all of it here in America. Bullet points. Stay away from flash topics, i.e. abortion, the wall, and other major controversial subjects. Yes, talk about the invasion and the fact that we don't know who is coming in. On a personal note, I can introduce you to a rancher who has found Korans and prayer rugs on his ranch in Arizona and New Mexico. He owns hundreds of thousands of acres. He's also a big donor, in case you need to know. <laughs> Bullet point. President Reagan's 11th commandment, stop insulting other Republican candidates. Stay away from Doc Ron DeSanctimonious. It makes you look unpresidential and immature. Talk with your team. Talk it over with your team. I was interviewed by the Washington Times back in 2016. In fact, I endorsed you four months before you came down the escalator at Trump Tower. Yes, I've chewed you out in a few articles, most notably when you insulted Rosie O'Donnell. But I've done so to drive you to win. It is all done with love. I was asked in this interview, why are you supporting Donald Trump? My answer was because America wants John Wayne. Remember what America loved about John Wayne. He was a cowboy, yes, but he was a tough cowboy. However, even though he was tough, he was always a gentleman. He always defended the ladies and killed off the bad guys, but he did so with grace and justification. John Wayne loved America, but he did it with passion, and he always, always defended those who could not defend themselves. He was an American Superman wearing six-gun chaps and a cowboy hat. And then I just closed it with, you can do this. And my last line was to tell him to listen to his team and remember the old proverb, an attorney who represents themselves in court has a fool for a client. End of article. That, sir, uh, I think is about as spot on as anybody could hit it. Uh, stay with me, Ken. We will uh, pick things up on the other side Will's of this break. Sir. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We will come back right after this brief break, and uh, we will continue with Ken Crow. Hello, America. This is Ken Crow with Conservative Daily Briefing, and you are listening to Tim Tap Tap Into the Truth. says that government doesn't want to replace both God throughout society and parents in the lives of America's children. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. Once upon a time in the land called the United States of America, it was recognized that parents had a God-ordained right and authority to train up their children in the way that they should go so that they don't depart when they are older. Also, School teachers were expected and paid to teach the rigors of math, science, language, history, physical education, and reflect the high moral standards that were taught by parents and in churches. Of course, there were always those lurking about longing for the day to destroy our republic from within by dumbing down education and indoctrinating students into becoming useful idiot robots, voluntarily helping to destroy our republic from within. Hmm. In recent years, jackbooted government enforcers have physically attacked parents for speaking out against replacing good education with smut. 
parents in Dearbornistan, Michigan, were recently told by school board president Roxanne McDonald. Their concerns don't matter. So now parents have retained the services of a reputable law firm and are taking the abusive Dearbornistan, Michigan school board to court. I'm hoping and praying those parents are victorious. I'm Ron Edwards. Enjoy the Ron Edwards American Experience daily to find out where. Go to theronedwards.com. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. I've always thought of the importance of communication and how much a part it plays in what you and I, what all of us are trying to do. And one day... A former place kicker with the Los Angeles Rams, who later became a sports announcer, Danny Villanueva, told me about communications. He said he'd been having dinner over at the home of a young ball player with the Dodgers. The young wife was bustling about getting the dinner ready. They were talking sports, and the baby started to cry. And over her shoulder, his busy wife said to the ball player, change the baby. And he was a young fellow, and he was embarrassed in front of Danny, and he said, what do you mean, change the baby? I'm a ball player. That's not my line of work. And she turned around, put her hands on her hips, and she communicated. (laughs) She said, look, Buster, you lay the diaper out like a diamond. You put second base on home plate. You put the baby's bottom on the pitcher's mound. You hook up first and third, slide home underneath, and if it starts to rain, the game ain't called. You start all over. (laughs) You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Hey, Joe. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden's husband. Thank you. Thank you, George. I'm so tired of trickle-down economics. I I never found that trickle-down on top of my head very much. I was listed, I was had the great pleasure of being listed as the poorest man in Congress for 36 years. I still had not making a hell of a lot more money than anybody else because I was getting a senator's salary. No kidding. I didn't think he should make me. You ask me why I love her? Well, give me time. I'll explain. Have you seen a Kansas sunset or an Arizona rain? Have you drifted on a bayou down Louisiana way? Have you watched the cold fog drifting over San Francisco Bay? Have you heard a Bob White calling in the Carolina Pines? Or heard the bellow of a diesel at the Appalachia Mines? Does the call of the Niagara thrill you when you hear her waters roar? You look with awe and wonder at her Massachusetts shore where men who braved a hard new world first stepped on Plymouth Rock. Do you think of them when you 
stroll along a New York City dock? Have you seen a snowflake drifting in the Rockies way up high? Have you seen the sun come blazing down from a bright Nevada sky? You hail to the Columbia as you rushes to the sea, or are you headed Gettysburg? Our struggle to be free. Have you seen the mighty Tetons? You watched an eagle soar. Have you seen the Mississippi roll along Missouri's shore? Have you felt a chill at Michigan when on a winter's day her waters rage along the shore in thunderous display? Does the word aloha? Make you warm? You stare in disbelief when you see the surf come roaring in at Waimea Reef. From Alaska's cold to the Everglades, from the Rio Grande to Maine, my heart cries out, my pulse runs fast, the mind of her domain. You ask me why I love her? I have a million reasons why. My beautiful America, beneath God's Wide, wide stuff. What is more patriotic than John Wayne telling you why he loves America? Uh, and, you know, I would love to say that we were going to do that bit anyway. But in truth, I think uh, Ken kind of inspired us when he uh, mentioned John Wayne in his letter. And, dadgummit, we couldn't miss that opportunity. And I want to thank Doug for being on top of that and ready to bring it into the fold. And before we get back to the conversation, too, I want to remind all of you fine folks out there that are listening, if you want to come join us and be part of the show when we do it live on Fridays, hop into the chat room for the last frequency over at MeWe. You can hang out with great people like Arizona. Anti-hero and uh, all the other great listeners that pop in and pop out, but you can almost always count on AZ being up in the house. And thank you for that, by the way, AZ. Appreciate it greatly. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Mr. Ken Crow, the purveyor of the conservative daily briefing, as well as contributor at Real America's Voice. And, you know, a few other places through the years as well. Ken, uh, again, thank you so much for giving up a big chunk of your uh, Friday evening and joining us as we uh, do this thing live here on the show. And, uh, you know, I, I can't express my gratitude towards you enough with the generosity of your time, especially knowing all the things you got going on. And you mentioned earlier when you first came on about how cold it is out there. Uh, I do feel bad for you because here in Tennessee, it got down into the 20s last night, and it barely got back up around 40 where I'm at, and I was thinking that's cold. So freaking negative two degrees chill, uh, wind chill factor, man, that's cold. <laughs> well, first thing, I, I want to interrupt you for just a second and say hats off to Doug. This dude has some great buffer music, man. He is really good. I mean, Pete Floyd, ACDC. I mean, this guy is good. Hats off to you, Doug. You're you're the best, man. 
Um, and John Wayne, I mean, thank you, you thank that? you very much. My goodness, <laughs> you're welcome, sir. Um, I mean, John Wayne, how, how do you top that? I don't, I don't know. Anyway, I'll shut up now. But uh, well done. <laughs> All right, uh, we've talked a little bit about the election. I, I think uh, you reading the letter probably sums up everything that we need to talk about as far as Trump being in for now. We'll have plenty to talk about as the campaign well, moves on, I'm sure. I, I've got a little bit more for you there, if you'd like it. Uh, it seems that on the night of the election, now keep in mind, that there, there's nothing to me worse than someone who uses you and then backstabs. And everybody was talking about Christy Nome, Christy Nome, Christy Nome, the governor of South Dakota, right? The real pretty lady who gives such an inspiring, great speech. And she is good on stage. I'll give her that. Um, Trump endorsed her for her first election. Flew up, did a rally. I mean, put his arm around her, hugged her, kissed her and all that. And said, vote for Christy. And she won in a landslide. Then he goes back up a few days before the election the other day, which is her four-year term. She's up for re-election. And uh, he does it again, or he sent a video in or something. Anyway, he gave her a full-throttle endorsement, loved her. He that, that was it. He did a video on board his airplane, and they played it at, the, at uh, one of the events there for her. And then the night of the election, after she wins, she turns around and tells America, I don't know that Donald Trump is such a good idea to run again. And just totally stabs him in the back. Now, before you think that's the end of the story, it's not. Because the the uh, Sioux Falls Argus, their newspaper, went to a thing that she was holding. Somebody obviously called them a few days ago, and wouldn't you know who was sitting at the table was Corey Lewandowski and his staff. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't recall Corey, he was President Trump's first uh, campaign manager in 2016, and and then he helped him win, uh, helped him win that election, and then they parted ways, and Corey's been helping senators get elected and things like that. I can personally tell you that Corey Lewandowski's salary is into the five digits a month before the decimal point. And if you want his whole staff for him to bring all of his people, you're looking at close to six or maybe six digits a month. And she is now his political advisor, or he is her political advisor. Now, she didn't hire this guy and give him that kind of money for no reason. She's going to run for president. And to do that, she has to come out and slam the guy that helped make her. Now, just me personally, I have a problem with that. I really do. I think it's wrong. And I was thinking that he may choose her for vice president. I really did. I, I thought that and wrote an article about that the other day. I said yeah. she would be the logical choice for him. If he decides to run again, she would be the perfect because their personalities are very similar as well as their political beliefs. They would get along great. 
And uh, and now, no, uh-uh. <laughs> I don't want any part of her. That's just me. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one of the things that I do find kind of interesting to kind of play around with right now, we're not going to know for a minute because it's still typically uh, very uncommon to officially announce anywhere close to this early. Uh, but I think it will be interesting to see how it plays out, who all does get in the race. Uh, it definitely sounds like Christy has been talked into it. Uh, and that is kind of slimy, <laughs> definitely slimy to, to do the uh, I, I don't think Trump's a, a good idea bit just to try to muddy the waters for yourself. Uh, yeah, that's I, I'm with you on that. That's not very good. I just makes me feel icky. <laughs> <laughs> makes well, me go, go, go down the uh, list, you we, know, and by the way, if you go to Real America's Voice, there's an article at the very top that I wrote about that this morning. It's got all the details with the videos in it and all that. But uh, talk about Mike Pence for a minute. He's been out campaigning. So yeah. is Mike Pompeo. Now, Pompeo, he tweeted out an insult toward Trump yesterday or day before. It's on his wall at Twitter. Pence, I, neither one of those, you know, is like I said in this article, until you can put 20, 30, 50,000 people in a stadium or in an airport tarmac, don't talk to me about who the front runner is because none of those guys can do it. And now you have Pence running. And Pence, half of the Republican Party are devoted Trumpsters, MAGA people, there's no way they're going to support Mike Pence. No way. So he's dead in the water before we even start. I don't even know why he's bothering to run. I think he just needs to write a book and call it a day. And make a <laughs> I would agree with speeches, you. Uh, you, know, getting paid, you know, getting paid 50 grand to give a speech, you know, that's what he needs to be out doing because he's not going to win the nomination, particularly if Donald Trump's running, he's not going to win. So I, I don't know why he's bothering. Then you got Nicole or, or Nikki down in South Carolina. She doesn't have a chance because her parents were born in India, and there's no way MAGA Nation's going to support that. So I don't know who else you've got. Ron DeSantis. Now, is Ron willing to possibly give up Florida? to run for president on a coin flip at best. I don't think he can beat Trump. You got to remember Trump's got, he's got over 300 million in his campaign war chest right now and more rolling in daily. And that's not counting his pack. That's what is it? Save America pack. I think's the name of it. Yeah. That, that thing's got millions and millions in it too. So these people are starting out, whoever's going to run is starting out way behind an eight ball. Trump's going to be your nominee. I mean, unless they somehow do some sort of felony charges against him uh, and they can get him prosecuted and all that before the election. Otherwise, he's going to be the nominee and he's going to win again. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I honestly think the Democrats 
want Trump to be the nominee because they've got it in their head that he's the easiest guy to beat. That's what they thought when he was going up against Hillary. And the only thing they took away from that was, well, Hillary, nobody really likes Hillary. And they still kind of put a lot of blame on Comey saying, well, you should have never come out with this investigation. Then that hurt it. They didn't take away the right message. They, they never do. And thankfully for us, they never do. Unfortunately for us, the Republican Party never seems to be able to take full advantage of the fact that they don't take away the right message. Um if if we see that, I, I definitely think that first and foremost, there is at least one third of the base of Republican voters that will crawl through broken glass for Donald John Trump no matter what. You throw on top of that that if we get more of the Trump, I'm here to fight for you like we saw in his announcement speech – that that swings back close to half of the uh, folks that are wavering right now, that are buying into what the media is trying to sell everybody about. Oh, there's a division, and so many Republicans are just suffering from Trump fatigue. Uh, yeah, they, they want you to buy into that, but at the same time, they still want this guy to be the candidate. I think they're going to get their wish, and I think just like when he was running against Hillary – they're going to be surprised by the end result. But well, if there ever in the history of mankind was a better example of be careful what you wish for, this would be it <laughs> for the Democrats. <laughs> be very careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, you Again, you would think they would learn, but they never do. And like I said, part of me is very grateful for that fact. But, uh, you know, there is one more thing that I wanted to talk to you about that's uh, not uh, related to the upcoming election. Uh, it's the results of the current. Now, we've got just a few minutes left, Ken, but I wanted to get your take on uh, the Republicans as soon as they knew for sure over in the House that they were going to be – in charge. First thing they uh, come out uh, announcing is they're going to take a swing at Hunter Biden in an effort to get Joe. Essentially, they're laying down the gauntlet that they want to try and impeach Joe Biden. And I would really love for that to be the fact. I'd love to have him impeached and uh, even have him removed. Not that I think would be so much better off uh, with uh, with things as we play out with a uh, a. Uh, Kamala Harris presidency, but I would love to see that disorder, and I really think that uh, the folks over in the Senate could hold up a vice presidential pick from Kamala. It, it might get very dicey to try and maintain their advantage in the Senate for a tiebreaker if Herschel Walker can win. But uh, would really love to just get your thoughts on the fact that that seems to be their top priority, this criminal connection between Joe and focusing on Hunter's uh, play in this. Well, I'm going I'm, I'm just going to say that I've sort of got a little bit of an inside track on this because I know what's on their computer because a good friend of mine saw it, saw what was on the computer. Yeah. And when this comes out in these House hearings, look, it's my opinion the Democrats are looking for a way out of Joe Biden at this point. 
They know he can't run again, but yet he's the leader of the party. And I honestly think they're looking for a way out. I truly believe that once the material that's on this computer comes to light and the American people see the level of corruption in Hunter's own words, you know, there's one line, one email on there where he's whining because he has to give his dad 10% of everything. And he's whining about it, even though it's millions of dollars, right? And there is no question now that Joe Biden is compromised by China and Ukraine. Why do you think we're sending these tens of billions of dollars to Ukraine? It's because they own Joe Biden's underwear and him <laughs> in them. They own him, and he knows it, and he has to give them what they want. And the same with China. That's why he was selling our strategic oil reserves to the very oil company that Hunter Biden owns stock in in China. The very company. I've forgotten the name of it. It's got three letters like NET or something like that, oil company. But, yeah, it's it's their national oil company. And Joe's sending our strategic reserves to this these people. Now, if ever there was something more evident, but it's on the computer how much money the Biden family received from not only China and Ukraine, but uh, the oligarch, that uh, the wife of the oligarch that basically owns Moscow. Uh, she gave him $100 million in this uh, investment deal. So when all this comes out, and it's now documented by the media, there, there's no way ABC can continue to ignore this. When you're having congressional hearings, NBC's going to have to report it, CBS, all of them. And when it starts hitting the mainstream media, and they're showing these emails on the big screen in your living room, America is going to be shocked. I promise you, they are going to be shocked. This in addition to all the videos of Hunter smoking crack that's on there, Hunter having sex with underage girls in China. All of this is on this computer, Tim. And when America sees it, they're going to be stunned and they're going to be clamoring, impeach this guy now. And now the Democrat Party gets rid of Joe because they'll have 10 senators flip. They'll get their 60 senators to convict him. Yeah. They won't have any choice. The American people will be jacking these Democrat senators up, saying, get rid of this guy now. So we're probably going to have Kamala. Then if it's Kamala, Trump will have a field day with her. <laughs> yeah, it definitely will be fun. Uh, we've got about three and a half minutes left, Ken. Uh how dangerous right now is this lame duck session of Congress? I mean, we've already seen the Senate push through this uh, disrespect of marriage act, uh, trying to placate uh, same-sex marriage across the country. Uh, they're probably not done. There's more things they're going to try to push through and try to codify before the Republicans take control of the House. How dangerous of a time is this lame duck session? I, I think it's got the potential to be very dangerous, to be honest with you, because Pelosi's going to try to get her legacy cemented and do what she can do in the House. The Senate's going to do the same thing because they got the votes. 
and uh, with Kamala up there, they have the votes. And I think this is a very dangerous time. And I'm just hoping that the new House can send enough public pressure through the American people to stop them and say, don't, don't do this, don't do this, because we're just going to unwind it. When you do it, we're just going to unwind it. But then you have the problem of the president signing it. So yeah. whatever we do in the House, you got to remember, we, we've got to convince the president it needs to be signed for it to become law. So that that's going to be the problem. The one strength we have is that they can cut off funding to a lot of things. The House can say, no, we're not, we're, we're not going to finance that project. So yeah. that's the one upside to this. But we've got to get in there in January. So we've got about, what, 45 days or so where this is going to be very tenuous. Yeah, I've uh, I've been promoting the idea of a uh, convention of states for a long time. Would love to have a balanced budget amendment. Would love to put term limits on uh, both the House and the Senate. And I'm beginning to think maybe – no legislative action through a lame duck session might be one of the safest things we can do to save the republic. Uh, Ken, uh, real quick, remind everybody where they can find your work. Oh, I'm I'm easy to find. Just uh, go to Twitter. I'm at KWR Crow. Those are my initials, KWR Crow, and then conservativedailybriefing.com. That's it. All right. I'm not much of a technophobe. <laughs> As always, sir, I appreciate your time. I really uh, enjoy getting to talk with you. And uh, thank you again, not just for everything you do, but for all the things you've done to help me out through the years, too. Really appreciate you publishing my stuff. Oh, it's and uh, my honor. It's my honor. Anytime. Keep, keep up the great work, sir. That's going to have to be it. And uh, you know what, uh, Doug? Take it away. Don't take my word. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Hey, Joe. You're
using both hands Founders knew the second amendment was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact so we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Maloney, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands. Well, I prefer the 308 to the tiny 223. Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family. Using both hands.